Welcome to a football show. Week two, Titans edition. Week three, SEC edition. Brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group. He is Zach Lyons. I am Braden Gall. And if you want to get involved, you got questions about the matchup with the Chargers. You got questions about the Bama Dynasty. You got questions about Vols Gators. Please, please, please jump into the comment section. You have questions about Ryan Tannehill and accountability. You got questions? We'll, we'll try to give you the best answers we've got. So, Jump into the comment section. We've got you. We got you covered there. And and I don't. We don't do this very often, Zach. But I'll just say, um, please share the product. Tell somebody about the show. Write us a review on the podcast app. Comment in the in on the YouTube page. That helps people find the show. Uh, so I will just overtly ask people to help us grow the product here on the beginning of the show. A football show brought to you by Sinkers and the Kingston Group. Love it. Let's do it. I'm ready. This is going to be a good show. I, I can feel it. <laughs> I'm, I was I was about to like I was waiting for the the intro, the pre-roll there, as we say, uh, in the business to get going, because I wanted to look up your exact text message. Uh, what you said to me um, about like this, the, the, one of our main first topics about Ryan Tannehill and accountability. We're then going to build a game plan for what they need to do. Brought to you by the Kingston Group, of course, about the matchup with the Chargers. Lots of really interesting factoids and history on the line. And, and lots of stuff. The 200th game in Nissan Stadium history coming up on Sunday afternoon. So lots of really fun stuff that we'll get to you guys for and maybe some concerns about the offensive line uh, as well. And then again, of course, we'll, we'll take a look around the AFC South. Two rookie quarterbacks matching up this weekend with Anthony Richardson and C.J. Stroud in the Houston and Indianapolis matchup. I'm interested by that. Uh, and of course, a huge weekend for the Tennessee Volunteers in the SEC. So a lot of stuff to do. But we were going to discuss, of course, uh, accountability and Ryan Tannehill out of the gate. And I was kind of asking you via text message before. I was like, all right, well, what's the like, what, what's the angle? What's the right setup here? That's all. And you basically just said to me, um, well, the topic is like most of my takes. People are fucking idiots. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I thought, you know what? There's no way to really try to set you up here uh, other than just to read that and say, let's ride, big guy. It's the most ridiculous thing. This goes back to mentor gate. And this goes to the fact that people aren't watching the entire press conference. They're watching snippets and clips. And, and listen, the Titans don't make it easy for fans. So I don't blame fans for not tuning in. At, and because first off the Titans social media team doesn't even promote that they're having press conferences. And now they're not even on YouTube until like a day later. And if you want to watch it live, you have to go to Titans.com to do it which is utterly fucking ridiculous, by the way. What a missed opportunity for them and for their social team that probably is working off metrics like for impressions and stuff. Like, it would be so e It's just that aside. <laughs> that that total, utter mismanagement aside. <laughs> bad business. But the fact that people are upset because he said we and didn't take any accountability. By the way, I went and watched it about a couple hours ago. He said, I can be better. Wasn't my best day. I can be better. I could be better for sure. Every area it looked like I could be better. Used you. He used the term you as I. Like, you want to get it all fixed. Right. You want to go out and play good football. You hate to be on the wrong side. I aim to be better this week. I want to be better and look forward to next week. That's 10 instances of him taking some form of accountability saying that he sucked. <laughs> this is what he said with we. We can be better. We have to be consistent. We can't have inconsistencies there. Those last two were talking about timing issues uh, when asked by John Glennon. 
and then said that we have to take advantages. We have to see what we did and take advantages. Four instances of using we versus 10 using I. You know what the issue is, Braden? <laughs> and we talked about this, I think, I guess it was last week or maybe two weeks ago. The cross-section of UT fans and Titans fans, these fans, this Titans fan base that are fans of both teams, they, they have an ego. They feel like they are deserved more than what they are given in, a, in the social media age. And I think that they're, what they're wanting is to be pandered to. What they're really wanting is Ryan Tannehill to go up there and say, and these are the exact words, I fucking sucked. <laughs> and is, and is, I, I should be benched. Totally and normal. that's what they should say. That's what they want him to say. Hmm. That's not who he is. First off, he's not never going to cuss. He's very. He's always been a pretty even kill guy, but the the time that he did bear his soul to this Titans fan base took a bunch of shit for that too. They shit down his throat like they said. <laughs> we don't fucking care that you went to therapy. We don't care that you went through some mentally troubling and emotional times. We don't give a shit about you. And ultimately. This fan base, at the, uh, for the ones that are being loudest and most vocal about this, they already had their mind made up after, at some t- point in 2021, I'd say even before the Bengals game, about Ryan Tano. Some of them are still upset that he benched Marcus. Like, that is where we're at as a fan mm. base, and this fan base needs to be better. I am asking for this fan base <laughs> to be better than what it is, and it will never happen. <laughs> Ryan Tannehill, bad teammate, question mark? Yeah, uh, no, like they, I, like, he might as well. He should, I don't know why he didn't. Does he even love the Titans? Like I said, does he even love the Titans? He didn't even try to commit seppuku up there. Probably like, doesn't he didn't like even his, try to stab himself. Probably doesn't love his kids or his wife or football. Yeah. Even. Um, look, look. So I, I, I think your, I think your theory on the ego is fascinating. I, like I watched the press conference, and you and I were asking. I was asking you, and we were talking before the show about like what, what, what's the angle here? What's the right way to approach this topic? And like I watched the press conference. And not for one second did I think that's what you were talking about. <laughs> the fact that like we is just a normal thing that all humans say in as as football or as, as athletes, let's just say, on a team. Uh, it's just something you say, and you know, like again, I, I think to to put so much value on a singular pronoun <laughs> sounds a lot like the rest of the country going all to hell in a handbasket for nothing. Yeah, I it, mean it's, it it's like. this is not just happened in sports. I mean this is right, a right. a reading, listening, comprehension problem. Uh I put out a stat the other day about the pass block win rate of the of the Titans and uh I linked to the article. And I had people asking me, "Well, what's the definition? How do they measure?" Fucking click the article. <laughs> you know like it's in there and then like no, i only goes, want to read headlines yeah and one guy goes i put up one this morning or last night about uh, i think the titans are like league average league average league average and it shows like titans are 16th someone goes why is there only 30 well if you click the fucking tweet it tells you that the bills and jets data was not there yet like right, right. people need so much hand holding so that's why to me it's awful that the tennessee titans do not let Pretty much oh, okay. make it accessible. All right, bring for it for a circle. For, see it. All right, now I like it. That's full circle. I like that. Uh, yeah. Put Tim Dodge's comment up on the screen for okay. a second there for those watching. All I want is for Tannehill to throw six touchdowns a game and cure cancer in his spare time. Is that too much to ask? Now, I do have a new theory about Tannehill 
And it's not a new theory. It's an old theory that's now coming back around, speaking of full circle. Uh, and and I, I'm not sure if now's the time to get to it or not. If you want me to float it, I will. Because uh, we are brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and Kingston Group. But Zach also has stackingtheinbox.com and football and other efforts. And my favorite, you and I tend to see things pretty similarly when we analyze coverage and football in general. But my favorite episodes of football and other F-words are when I say something to you on Monday, we slightly disagree, and then Mike Herndon agrees with me on football and other F-words. Those are my favorite episodes, of course, because then I get to come back on this show and say, see, I told you Andre Dillard sucked ass after I watched it the second time. And and here's my thing about Tannehill that I'm coming around on. I, I'd still disagree with you on the arm strength father time thing. You're not wrong in that it can fall off a cliff very fast, and you never really kind of know when it happens. You're absolutely right about that. And remember, I, think, I, I don't like the term arm strength. I'm strictly talking velocity. Sure. And and you're not wrong on your, your basic theory of when that happens for a quarterback. It just happens. Um, I think we would have seen it in camp, number one. But number two, I, I think we would see it happen basically permanently. There would be no return to normalcy the rest of the season for Ryan Tannehill. And I expect him to play better against the Chargers. I think you probably would agree. So that's one of those where, like, I can argue with you. And say yes or no, or I agree or disagree, but really, we're just going to find out on the field whether it's or not really he's, that he's I'm, lost. Or I'm not. worried about it. I'm not right, saying that right. it has happened. I'm saying that I, based on the film, it's a distinct possibility from week one yeah. that maybe this could be it. And listen, Peyton Manning looked great until he didn't, right? Like, and he looked great all through camp. And then he all of a sudden he fell off. Russell Wilson glowing reports out of camp, and then he fell off. It it happens. It just it it, it, it does. It, you're absolutely right about that. I have so I I saw all the arm talent there, arm strength, velocity, RPMs. You know, however you want to describe it. Um, I I have sort of a I just disagree with that's the reason he was terrible in week one. And we're gonna oh find I out never said that was the reason he was terrible week one. He was terrible in week one because he's an idiot. <laughs> like well, like I, I mean he he made horrible way. reads, missed open throws. So any quarterback should make regardless of age. Like Joe Flacco could make those throws. This is this is my old but now new theory on Ryan Tannehill. All and, right, I like it. Which is. I just don't think he's good enough to run a modern offense. I think he predetermines his reads. I think he's a very good one, two read pro style power rushing play action quarterback who doesn't have a whole lot of tricks in the bag. That was my thought in at AM. That was my thought for Miami. That was why I thought he was a backup to Marcus when he got traded for. And he proved me wrong very much. So in 2019 and then to some degree in 2020, but now that I've seen, and again, this is just a theory because we could see everything change throughout the course of the next 16 games and week one is a liar. But part of my concern is that now we're seeing Tim Kelly do the, the fun and interesting stuff that we want to see. We can get to Derrick Henry's usage. I think that's one of the only real criticisms, maybe, of Tim Kelly's performance in week one. But we saw all the stuff we wanted to see. If you're a Titans fan, the stuff you've been begging to see for years is what you saw in week one. And to me, the guy who couldn't execute the offense was the guy making the decisions. And that is just an old but now new theory that I am positing. I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying it's worth watching. Just like think, your theory. I think anything's on the table, right? Like, right. I mean, anything right. is on the table right now because Ryan Tannehill, uh, <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Tannehill left that door. Yeah. That's what I was yeah. trying to get to. Left that door open yeah. and that the all these possibilities open by not being able to go out and execute very, very simple things. And I, 
And I think that like the stuff that he didn't execute really doesn't fall under whether you can run a certain style of offense or whether you he's very old. Because to me, those are just simple throws. Those aren't complicated throws that he missed that could have that could have won them the game. Now there are other throws that may fall into what you're saying that may fall into what I'm saying. But the the main issue that the throws that everybody has issues with are just like brain fart throws, right? Like you can't explain it. You can't yeah, explain yeah. why he couldn't hit those and, throws. I agree with that. And I I my go again, I went back and watched it again and I've come away feeling even more with this is kind of a weird thing. Like I was probably more anti-offensive line than you were on Monday. I'm even more anti-offensive line, but I still think that they're much better than they were last year. So I'm sort of still kind of in in the middle and let's see what happens over the course of the next couple of months. They they started out piss poor and I don't know what it's going to be this week because I mean, they're, they're better pass rush. We'll we'll get to that. But I want, I want to go back to Tannehill. To me, what I saw from Tannehill was the throws he didn't make, the decisions he didn't make, the reads he didn't get to. The backside, this, the, the, like the things that he just missed. Because again, I would say that that's probably a new offense with new players and new pieces. My concern is that he has always sort of been a one, two read pro style power play action quarterback. And but that, that also works for this for. offense. This offense is built to be a not a very over, overly complicated offense, right? Like this is a simplified offense that is meant for quick reads and not anything else. Like you're, you're, it should work for Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill should fit. It's not, it's to me, this is a, they, they need more play action, but everything else that every throw that he missed or that he struggled with, not even just the touchdowns or the really open guys are throws. We've seen him make regularly in an offense. Yes. And yes. And again, everything I'm saying is, asterisk caveated with yeah, right. one game 16 to go let's see what happens um and to me it's it's like this okay if you're gonna go for example if if you're gonna go five wide and go empty sets which we rarely see them do rarely seen ryan Tannehill run it's different from the titans and it doesn't include no backs because a lot of times spears is in is motioning in or out of the backfield but they ran empty sets a lot last week when you are an empty set with no protection, you're only five offensive linemen, Andre Dillard's getting torched, and you've got five receivers, it has to be your processing speed, your decision-making pre-snap. You have to be predictive of what you're doing. It is putting more on the quarterback to make even more sharper and smarter and quicker and accurate decisions when you're in an empty set like that. And that is not really what they've done a lot. In, uh, with Maybe Ryan he just Tannehill. has a low S2 score. I, I was going to ask you about this two score. Is he's a CJ Stroud, a veteran quarterback? He could be. Um, I mean, Easton, he, he could be. Easton says Zach rants to open the show about people being too hard on Tannehill and then calls him a whore. Come on, Zach, you got to be better than that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of open whores, open doors, uh, open party on September 30th at Bluegrass Beverages up in Hendersonville. Sinkers, of course, is the sister store in East Nashville, the best liquor store in, in Nashville in 2022. Um, obviously, you can Uber Eats Sinkers Beverages, so just search Sinkers Beverages right there on the app, and they'll drive so you can drink. There you go, which is obviously a great thing. Um, but th- we've got a great event coming up September 30th, Saturday. We're going to be out there. Uh, you've got, we're going to do a little show for you. We're going to have uh, tequila and bourbon. So it's like a mini tequila fest and a mini bourbon fest. Really dangerous combination. <laughs> 
during football season on a Saturday, but it is for free, $0. Come celebrate 50th anniversary of Bluegrass Beverages, serving the Hendersonville market. And, of course, their sister store, Sinker's Beverages, here in East Nashville, where I shop every single time I need something to drink, which, if I keep watching Titans games, will be more and more frequent. Uh, Kingston Group, of course, buildkg.com. We're going to build you a game plan on how to beat the Chargers coming up, which I believe, to me... We'll start with the offensive line and the Tim Kelly game plan. So let me give you a couple of couple of factoids here, a couple of stats, just to sort of like set the historical context. And 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 I, I like this stuff. Sometimes I get going on like feeling like I'm a ten year old kid looking at the back of baseball cards doing math again. And I just sort of got into the the weeds on the numbers of this game because I'm just fascinated by the fact that five straight of these games have been one score games, that the home team wins basically every time that they play between the Chargers and the Titans. Um, Derrick Henry uh, only we'll get to his usage rate, but he needs 177 yards to pass Earl Campbell. Just something to keep an eye on. He's chasing down Earl Campbell for number two all time. He needs two rushing touchdowns to become just the seventh player in NFL history to to to, to go 8,000 yards, 80 touchdowns in his first eight seasons. So keep an eye on that. Um, it is the 200th game in Nissan Stadium history. I, as I um, uh, it, it, to me, that's just a round, fascinating number. Uh, and then, of course, the 2019 game, which was the goal line stand, if you all remember, uh, with with the Chargers, was Ryan Tannehill's first start and Jeffrey Simmons' first NFL game. Both it, was it, it Tannehill's the, first start for the Titans? Yeah, very because it was, was that five. right after the Denver game. It must have been right after the Denver game. It was in the it was in the team it was in the team's release. So um, fascinating to me that that was that that was such a great game. And it happened to be Tannehill's first start as a Titan and Jeffrey Simmons' first ever NFL game. We'll get to Austin Eckler, but because he's on just to sort of like put in perspective how good Austin Eckler has been as a running back. He's crazy. So here's a couple of historical numbers for you. And again, I know I'm putting a lot out there, so just kind of work with me here. 393 career receptions. If he gets seven catches on Sunday, he'll get to 400. It'll be the fourth fastest running back to 400 catches in NFL history. He's got 7,300 and some change yards from scrimmage. Only three other undrafted free agent running backs have ever gotten to 7,500 scrimmage yards. So he is one of the, like, we're talking Priest Holmes category Mm -hmm. of production. He has 29 receiving touchdowns. Only five running backs in history have ever caught more than 29 receiving touchdowns to get to 30. If he catches one more, he gets to 30. I say all of that to just put Austin Eckler into perspective. The guy had 164 yards from scrimmage last week, over 100-plus yards rushing. The Chargers had 234 yards rushing. And the Titans have not allowed a 100-yard rusher in seven consecutive games as a team, seven consecutive games, and 15 of their last 16 matchups. The Titans did not allow their opponent to go over 100 yards. 15 out of 16 times. The Cincinnati Bengals, of course, with – when uh, Joe Mixon was out, I think it was the Samaj P. Ryan game yeah. last year is the only team that's gone over a hundred yards rushing against this Titans team in 16 games. So that's a lot of historical stuff. A lot of data. I just wanted to get it out there because I found it. I found it interesting and it's stuff to keep an eye on this Sunday. You should have saved some of it for the discussion. Like when we're talking about the rush defense, well, if you know, Sorry. Zach, you know, Sorry. blah, blah, blah. Sorry. You just, you just like you. Sorry. Word vomited. I just Data dumped vomited. it. I just dumped Data it on you. Um, Let's start with, building a win um quick passing and relying on deck derrick henry like if you're the offense that's what you have to do i i think taking any data from the chargers versus dolphins game is folly i think that's foolish 
I think it's silly. And to try to apply it to this, because Tua Tagovailoa, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Mike McDaniel, they present a different threat to a defense. So, of course, that possibly they play a lot of man coverage. And they, listen, they may still play man coverage, but they're going to probably play a lot of man coverage. They're also probably not going to send a lot of blitzes and pressures to Tua because they have to cover everything else. So that means that Tua has a nice clean pocket. That means that Tua has a shorter time to throw, a very quick time to throw. But that's because of the game plan when you are facing the Miami Dolphins. Now, if Teddy Bridgewater, or I think they have Skylar Thompson as their third quarterback was out there, you would see an entirely different game plan. And I hate to throw Ryan Tannehill into the group of, of those guys, but a smart Los Angeles Chargers team, and I'm not so sure they are, but a smart mm. Los Angeles Chargers team isn't going to treat this collection of pass catchers and this quarterback the same they would the Dolphins. That's just not, just not there. And the Dolphins and the Titans aren't going to attack their defense the same way. So to me, bringing in all these stats from week one from either side doesn't make a lick of difference. You, I can sit here all day and say, well, the data says that the Titans are the 16th best offensive line uh, from aggregate data sources. They're the fifth best to pass block win rate. That doesn't matter because now they're going up against, they're not going up against Charles Granderson right. and old Cam Jordan. They're going up against Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa. They're going to have Asante Samuel on the outside. They're going to have Derwin James as a safety. They're going against an entirely, yeah. on paper, better defense. Now, what we have seen from the Chargers, not always what is better, translates. And specifically, for whatever reason, Mike Vrabel does not give a flying fuck about your high-flying offense. And he'll play you, he'll wear you down, and it's going to be a three- or one-point game like you've kind of historically alluded to, one-score games. But he does something to the Chargers, typically, that he does to the Chiefs. Something, yep. and listen, he they are coming to the Tennessee, right? That is why you see that the home team almost always wins because of that traveling. That is hard to do. That's hard to be the away team and go and travel that many miles and, and put up a win and put up a W. So they're coming here. So they're going to be a little sluggish. Austin Eckler may not be available. And if he is not available, that's a huge thing for the Tennessee Titans. You know, I understand there's an injury report that came out yesterday. Well, I'll say it again for anybody on this show that may have not heard it last week. I don't give a shit about Wednesday injury reports. Yeah. There could be do, do not practice, do not practice, limited practice, and they play on Sunday. We see it all the time in Tennessee. I will say this. If someone that is injured, like Dylan Radins, who missed a game last week and wasn't active, and he comes back and practices yesterday and is injured today, that is something to take note of. It's yeah, the yeah. transition from day to day. Yeah. There is nothing to take away until today's injury report comes out, and there may be nothing to take away there. But Austin Eckler not practicing throughout the whole week could be, could be big. a good yeah. thing. But let me say this. Joshua Austin Kelly had Eckler, a pretty good game. So. Yeah. Joshua Kelly, flute game. Let, let's just be honest. We've seen what Joshua Kelly is 
before. It's kind of like Chris Hubbard. I'm going to chalk Chris Hubbard up as a fluke game. Okay. Joshua Kelly is probably a fluke game based on the history of what we've known Josh Kelly to be. But And that game was just wild. Nobody could stop anybody pretty much and until like the very last minute. But if Austin Eckler is a guy that always tends to just show up, so I wouldn't... I wouldn't discount that even if he is do not practice all week, if they don't announce him as out, he's probably playing on Sunday, or at least he's a game-time decision. Uh, Daniel, of course, hello, Daniel. How you doing? Uh, Says Bosa did have a terrible game last week against the Dolphins' left tackle, which was Titans legend Kendall Lamb. That's right. They were playing without their left tackle. I will say they did. uh, Mac and Bosa did combine for 10 pressures last week. Now, Tua got the ball out extremely fast. 2.45 2.45 seconds. Tannehill was over three seconds last week, so that needs to change quickly uh, because, again, Andre Dillard, whoever they put over there on Andre Dillard. Dillard, the problem I, the problem I have with, with Dillard going back to and this is going to get into sort of your, your game plan here, which is short passing, run the football. We'll get into the defensive side of things, but on the offense, it's the quick passing game and it's running the football. Uh, that's kind of what we, we expected last year in this matchup. It's sort of what happened. To your point, Vrabel just has this magical air, way of – attacking these really explosive offenses, a lot of which you might say are finesse offenses to some degree. Um, Herbert, by the way, again, some uh, one more historical fact here. Herbert's the only quarterback in NFL history to start his career with 4,000 yards passing in three straight seasons, and only he and Manning have done 25 touchdown passes in three straight seasons to start their career. So I'm just saying that to put like the historical perspective on Herbert and Eckler and some of these weapons that they have on offense. And Vrabel has been very good at stopping them. Um, Andre Dillard, the problem with Dillard last week when you rewatch it is the amount of different ways he was beat is really the problem. It's like, oh, okay, I'm going to do a rip on the first cup drive. Then the next time I'm going to do a bull rush. Then I'm not going to do a spin move. And then I'm just going to jump over you the next play. Then I'm going to slap your hands on the fifth drive. Like it was every single different, which way you could get beat. He got beat. He gave up six pressures. And while the saints defensive line is solid, and to your point, I think this is the, the right way to look at it. The Chargers aren't necessarily better, but they have more talent at certain positions. And Bosa and Mac are more talented than the Saints. I mean, don't you think that Bosa and Mac are both going to be on the left side or both be on the right side? That's how I would construct a defense. I would have them basically be on the same side and just crash that side for the Tennessee Titans. Just I, swap it every so often. You may not even have to do it. That's the concern. Like, now, yeah, but they generate turnovers. If they put, yes, yeah, true. If they put two guys over there, Titans do. The Titans have a tight end or a back, and they're sort of double teaming. They're giving Dillard help. Then maybe that's when you bring a second guy over there. But I don't like if they're just going to do what they did last week, the Titans. I don't think you need the second guy to create that problem. I mean, again, like it wasn't just that he got beat, it was that it didn't matter what move the Saints put on him. It, it, it kind of worked. And so, and it, and honestly, what it did is it, I like, I kind of softened my Tannehill angst a little bit because you go back and look and there's still a lot of those plays where he's rushed out of the pocket. He picks up two yards cause he scrambled that, you know, that could have been a sack. It wasn't a throw, not because of Tannehill, but because the, the pocket blew up. So uh, again, not, it, it just, it, it's all about pass the football quickly. He's got to get the ball out of his hand quicker than 3.1 seconds, which is what it was last week against the Saints. And we can get now to the one area of Tim Kelly's offense that I thought you could argue, which is maybe use Derrick Henry a little bit more. I know that for five years we've been begging them to go away from that and be more modern and be more pass-heavy on first down, and you could still do that. 
and give him more than 17 touches. It's to so. be more cognizant of what the what's unfolding in the game. And I, I feel like the Titans offense, even under Arthur Smith, has this issue where they see that something is not, or maybe they don't, maybe that's the issue, but everybody else sees something that is not working. And they continue to just do what's not working. And in a close game like this, that we saw in the Saints game, the easy answer is to put the ball in the hands of your two running backs who are having your best success. Um, yeah. I mean, I look at the success rate on rushes for Derrick Henry, 60%, right? 60% is pretty good on a rush. Like 60%, you're going to have a successful play. Tajay Spears on his three rushes, 66.7. Now, the expected points added on a Spears rush is 0.41. It's negative 0.07 for Derrick Henry, but still not as bad as what the offensive line is. Like, or sorry, what the passing game was. Yeah, yeah. And that was evident. Like, to me, that was evident. So, out of the gate, I think think that you're going to see almost kind of like a back to basics game sort of like it's run 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 some more because they just signed um what's that is he Patrick Jacques or Jacques Patrick Jacques Patrick played at Jacques Patrick yeah 240 uh, pounds 240 pounds kind of like a Dante they, Foreman type yeah they put brought him in took out um Jordan Ruse. Jordan Ruse yeah now this makes me wonder if they're going to bring him in as a fullback and really load up some stuff and go really heavy and go bruising. Like they're going to bruise some people. Like, and I think that's the way you have to do it because ultimately you can look at the thing and say, Oh, well the chargers, they were uh, last week. The chargers were one of the best run defenses because EPA per play allowed uh, that I think they were the second or third best. So you can't run on this team anymore Dude, is Raheem Mostert with 10 carries? Like, slow well, slow down here. Two or three for 466. They right. were even trying to run the football. Different the teams, different trying. game plans. And I am much more comfortable with Andre Dillard as a run blocker than I am as a pass blocker. Same with Chris Hubbard. Same with his whole offensive line, really. You have to run the ball, and that's how you build a win. It, it is to me, it's almost like two or three things piled together in like too much sense. Like Ryan Tannehill is still adapting. Ryan Tannehill is not as confident. You want to build some confidence, make it a little simpler, make it a little more uh, familiar for him. You want to slow down a pass rush that got after a team last week and has a chance to destroy your tackles this week. Run the football. You, you know, you, you got a, you got a, a team that's not as good at stopping the run as the saints were run. The, like everything is like too logical. So I'm, I'm, I'm worried that they're going to overthink it. But everything seems too logical. If you want to, again, if you want to help Tannehill, help the offensive line, help the offense, it all sort of lines up with a Derrick Henry type of game. And, and again, this, this team has been pretty good at home uh, in this series. It's, very, it's been m- very close games. That's the way Vrabel's teams are going to play traditionally. It's the way this team is going to win games uh, traditionally. Now, Diesel, I didn't see this. Um, it, what You said dumbass fan base booed Ryan at a soccer game. Yeah, I think I was at that What's soccer that game. I was at that soccer game. Uh, he was there um, early in the year, and they showed him up on the jumbo. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. That's that. That I think is, you were that, at that game. I think that was I, a game we were both at. I was, I've, I was at most of them. Uh, once the college football season starts, I'm busy on Saturday nights. But uh, I it, love it. It was it a before. game that I thought we were both at. It's 
yeah, that seems odd to me. Um, I, I guess I, I don't understand that. Uh, okay. So that's the sort of the game plan on the offensive side of the things. I, I there's not a lot to say. I kind of already mentioned, uh, by the way, Deandre Hopkins keep, uh, there's a streak going longest active streak in the NFL in terms of receptions. He's caught a game. He's caught a football in every single game he's ever played. That is, that's, that's, pretty, that's crazy. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. 146 uh, career games, 146 straight games with a catch. So interesting stuff there. The, the defense, it's sort of common sense. The stat that I put out earlier about, you know, 15 out of 16 teams have not gone over 100 yards, seven straight times. The Titans have kept somebody under 100 yards. Well, they have the best rushing defense in the NFL. So duh. So it makes sense. But if Eckler's playing and Herbert's playing, what you, are are you as are you is it just in Vrabel you trust on the defensive side because he's so good at matching up with these offenses? It, are, do we have concerns about the secondary? I know Fulton was a, a you know a part participant during practice this week. So what what is the game plan? How are you building it on the other side of the ball? Or is it just in Vrabel we trust? Well, I, I think it's just Vrabel we trust. I mean, Austin Eckler, you know that that last game he only had uh 70 yards total so like the thing about Eckler is that he may not burn you for 100 yards per game but he's going to burn you for 100 all-purpose yards per game yep. typically yep. so to me that was super impressive that he that last year he was only able to walk away with that much that seems like a really bad game and i'm sure uh Eckler fantasy owners were highly upset and then you look at Herbert on the other side last year he had all the yards in the world, 313 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, three sacks. I mean, that's still a winning formula. The Titans only lost by three. Ryan, That's the game Ryan Tannehill got injured on. Um, that's the game that I'm trying to look it up right now. 17-14, I think. Um, uh, we're talking Greg Maben, Andrew Adams, John that's Reed, right. Roger McCreary, Kevin Byard. Uh, Joshua Kalu, those are your defensive backs that game. Roger McCreary and Kevin Byard were the only like starting caliber defensive backs they had last year, and yeah. they held the Saints to 17 points total on the road. On the road, on the road. Yeah, I, that's I, just how it. It's like when the Chiefs came a couple of years ago, and it was Greg Maben it shut down Tyree Kill, and they walked away with what three points that game. Yeah, and Patrick Mahomes, it makes no sense. And this is probably going to be the game where everybody walks away and says, Vrabel's just a fucking madman. He's a scientist. It makes no sense that the <laughs> Tennessee Titans were even in this game, much less win, or even the, I can't believe the Titans only lost by three. You know what just, I'm saying? That's like one of those games. Yeah, yeah Herbert's going to be on Netflix next year saying, God, they're just one of the toughest defenses to play against, no matter right. what. Like it's that's what's that's what it's going to be. Um, I, I think what's what's the other thing to keep an eye on here, and that I don't think we know this yet now, because I didn't watch much of the game, the Dolphins Chargers game last week. I didn't see much of it other than some highlights. The entire move to Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator for the Chargers was to remove themselves from this dink and dunk short passing attack, which Austin Eckler is actually very good at. But they have these big like first be catching dogs on the outside, like these six, four guys that like to go down the field. And actually that's where Justin Herbert got a lot of his yards last year was Mike Williams on these deep routes that like just were winning on one-on-one -on -one situations, but they locked him down in the red zone. And so I'm curious what Kellen Moore's offense will be in, in, in terms of what does it look like down the field? Cause that's supposed to be what he's bringing to the offense. They were over 200 yards rushing and passing last week. The dolphins are not the same 
as the Titans, but the Dolphins have some pretty good players on defense from a talent perspective. So I just am curious what it looks like uh, from Kellen Moore and how different it is going to be from next, from last year because, again, totally new scheme for them as well. He was efficient, but his air yards last week, he was only, he only had 7.5 air yards last week. That doesn't strike me as down the field. No, and so like last year, to so, so everybody knows, last year he ended with, a um, success rate of 46.3, okay? His yards per attempt were 6.8, and his adjusted yards per attempt were 6.9. His yards per attempt were 6.9, so 0.1 better. Now, I will say this, 0.6, 0, 0.6 yards better is your adjusted yards per attempt at 7.5. But he's at a 47.2 success rate, according to profootballreference.com. If you look at his air yards, like I said, and I do not know why this is not. Here we go. <laughs> 7.5. It ties you. He had him at 11th last year. Ryan Tannehill had nine last week. Let's remember that, which is insane. Yeah, yeah. Now, last year, in terms of air yards for Justin Herbert, I'm pulling it up right now because I had to use a couple same screen kind of loads a little bit. Well, you 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 do. do you right, need here you go. Justin, I got okay. it right here. Justin Herbert, he was six point four. So there is improvement, but it's not what the improvement Margo. that you really expected from yeah. Kellen Moore with Mike Williams with Josh Palmer. He, it just seemed like they they couldn't. Maybe they couldn't do it, but there was no Jalen Ramsey, so I don't know really. It was just this awful offensive line, in my opinion, and I think that the Titans are going to be able to cause the havoc, make them have to still go dink and dunk. It's all about doing just enough. Sean Murphy Bunting, Christian Fulton, and Roger McCreary have to do just enough to yeah. slow down Mike Williams and Josh Palmer because it's that's who it is. Quentin Johnston is not a factor. Yeah. Keaton Allen is your underneath guy. He's not your burner. That's who you got to stop. Yep. Uh, it'll be interesting. This is one of those where, like, my instinct all week was was picking the Chargers. I think they're going to play well. Uh, you know, I think they, they, they know what happened last year in Los Angeles, even though they won the game. So the offense is motivated, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, it's also one of those moments where Vrabel just does something, not just against a good offense, but, you know, back against the wall sort of cliché. They're, they tend to be pretty good in those situations. The the seven-game losing streak and the injuries notwithstanding last year. So I, I'm really torn on this. I, I'm curious what the crowd looks like because the Chargers are not exactly a, a heavily traveling team the way you know Pittsburgh or Baltimore or the Packers or the Cowboys would be. So I'm curious what the crowd looks like. Home opener. Uh, it, you know, Vrabel's uh, two and three in his home openers just as a point of fact. Um, oh and two in his last two. So wants to get off the snide there, but we'll see what it looks like. I, I, I'm, I, my instincts all say Chargers everything, which means I should then turn around and go the opposite direction <laughs> and take the Titans. So yeah, I will say this: Sean Murphy Bunting was he was able to keep everything in front of him. Mike Williams didn't play the last time they played each other uh, in 2020, um, but he was able to keep everything in front of him. He allowed seven for seven for 131 yards that game. But what you're seeing is it's like one for one, 19 yards for Donald Parham. Keenan Allen was four for four for 32 yards. The big one was allowing a deep shot to Jalen Guyton, who I believe is not even eligible to play. 
There so you go. that was one for one for 72, because I believe Jalen Guyton is on IR or injured, if I'm not mistaken. Torn ACL. Right. So there is there's your game plan. Uh brought to you by Kingston Group, of course. How you build a win for the Tennessee Titans at home in their home opener in 2023 against the Chargers team, which frankly it should just be a very fun game. Uh dichotomy of styles, contrast of styles, styles make fights, whatever cliche you want to use. Uh very interesting matchup between these two. Um, and a lot of blue on the field. Uh, which which of course will be uh turf now instead of grass. Just mm-hmm. just reminder to everybody who's turns it on and, and is forgets somehow forgets that there's that there's turf in the field instead of grass um all right real quickly here before we get to the sec vols and gators you got lsu and mississippi state you got some good games going on i, I i'm interested in a couple of these matchups i was interested in how all these quarterbacks played in week one of course jacksonville goes up to indianapolis and gets a win um jacksonville will host kansas city so everybody rooting for the chiefs this weekend if you're a titans fan um playoff rematch of course the jags last week four sacks three turnovers uh, on defense, Trevor Lawrence, 75% completion percentage and one by 10 on the road against a bad Colts team. What does it mean? Well, we'll find out this week against the Chiefs. So keep an eye on that. I think the interesting matchup just from like a football standpoint is Indianapolis and Houston. Um, it is only the second time in NFL history that two rookie, two quarterbacks under the age of 22 are going to play against each other. Hmm. Do you, can you, t- can you take a guess? At the only other time in NFL, and there's an obvious reason why I'm asking you this on this show, the only other time in history that two quarterbacks under the age of 22 played against each other in the same game. Would it be Marcus and Jameis? Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. Well done, sir. You win a brand new car. Good job. Nicely done. Uh, I, I find that that very interesting. C.J. Stroud completed 28 passes, which is fourth in NFL history in your in your in your first game as an NFL starter in your rookie season on opening weekend. Um, yeah, excellent job, Tim. Yes, you're a few seconds late, but good job. You got it correct there. Mariota versus Winston. Um, Richardson is the youngest ever to start at quarterback and run for a touchdown and throw for a touchdown in a game. Like there's just some like stuff that's interesting here between these two. Will Anderson had a pretty good game last he had year. A great last, game. Last week, really good game. I, I did. So, I saw highlights for him. Last he was week. six, six tackles, a sack, a bunch of pressures. The front seven for the Colts was interesting. Quiddy Pay and Buckner played pretty well. Also, Zaire, I think Zaire Franklin had 18 tackles last week for the Colts. So, I don't know. To me, it's it's just interesting. Um, and I, I want to see how both those guys look. And I think it's a game in the division that Titans fans should be paying attention to. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to kind of pay attention to it outside because I, they play at the same time, right? So, like, you know, that's, that's the biggest issue is, you know, sometimes and who really wants to go back and watch a – Indianapolis Houston game, unless there's some highlights that pop up on the screen that that change your mind. But it's know, it's more about like neither of them are just neither of them are good enough passers that I'm very excited. I don't know if you saw Anthony Richardson's heat map. It was all on the right side. I think he only attempted one pass to his left or two That's passes wild. to his left. It was a why it reminded me of Mitch Trubisky uh, when he was <laughs> playing for the Bears because Trubisky. Now Richardson looked better, but. It, if you remember Trubisky, like cut off the whole side of the field yeah, by yeah. himself and Anthony Richardson did the same thing. And the dink and duck offense is not going to work for CJ Stroud. If this team wants to do anything, I, I understand that your offensive line is probably not that good. And maybe that's yeah. what you're forced to do. But and zero touchdowns, zero interceptions, 5.5 yards per attempt yeah, is not, not good, very not good. good. No, no, it's all very, very, but again, like to me, it's about, all right, these, this was the guy that went number two and number four in the draft, which by the way, 
is also a very rare thing to see in the NFL. I think only uh, six other times has it ever happened where two quarterbacks were taken in the top five that play against each other. And they're going to do it twice this year. It's more about just sort of like, this is what a number two overall pick and a number four overall pick in this class looks like. And the Titans drafted a quarterback in this class. And so it's, that to me is interesting to see it there. They're in the division. They are going to be inextricably linked for the rest of their careers. Levis Richardson and Stroud, whether, whether fans like it or not, the three of them are always going to be linked. And so to me, it's just, it, I just want to see what they look like. Like what, what, are, you know, we, we talked about these guys during the draft process ad nauseum, I just want to like now it's time to see what they actually do on a football field. I'm I'm interested in that. So that's all. Well, I also I also want to say this just real quick. If the trends continue between Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Anthony Richardson that you saw in week one, okay. Now that's a lot of ask, a lot of ifs. But let's just say hypothetically, if they do, if they could continue this way all season long, and we never see Will Levis, okay. Will Levis <laughs> never sees a snap. Remember. Traditionally, about one or two, but mainly one quarterback that is typically drafted with a first-round grade is successful out of a class. And if these three, or the yeah, these three suck all season long, oh, okay, really good sign <laughs> mathematically that Will That's Levis good. is the one. I, I I was wondering how you're going to land that plane, but you did it. You did it. I, I give you credit for that uh, uh, also. Uh, so good good job there. Just something to keep an eye on. Again, Kansas City at Jacksonville is a good football game, and Indianapolis and Houston has intrigue for other reasons. So I just thought, you know, hey, look, everybody's paying attention. A lot of teams in the AFC lost last week, which is good for the Titans uh, considering their outcome. I think there's only like five teams in the AFC that won a football game last weekend or something yeah, crazy like that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But that's good. That's 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 good for the Titans. Um, so and I you're clearly rooting for Kansas City in this situation. 100 um, So there you go. Um, all right, so keep an eye on that. Uh Sinkers Beverages, Kingston Group, buildkg.com is the website. You guys know the deal there. If you're gonna make any decisions about your house, big ones, renovations, custom build, buy, sell, whatever it might be, renovate, you know, just talk to Kingston Group. Talk to those great folks. They'll help you out with that process. Just have a conversation. Sinkers Beverages, of course, in East Nashville, uh, the number one liquor store in tennis, in in Middle Tennessee, voted on by uh, the Nashville Scene Readers last year. They're the, they're the defending champs. I'm having trouble speaking today, Zach. So I'm going to slow down and tell you all about their bourbon selection. They have a giant walk-in beer fridge with every possible local brewery you could possibly ask for. Uh, tremendous wine selection, lots of good tequila. Uh, so, uh, again, great place to go shop for booze and bluegrass beverages. September 30th, come out and hang out with us. Tequila and Bourbon Fest up there in Hendersonville. Uh, I'll buy you a drink because it's free. That's how cheap I am. Okay, uh, let's get into the SEC here. Tennessee and Florida. And I don't have a ton of analysis for the actual game plan itself. I think Tennessee needs to do the things they do well. Right. And that is Joe Milton has to be more efficient than he's been. They need to run the football on offense and they need to control the line of scrimmage on defense, which is the things they've done well through two games to, for the most part. Milton could be a little bit more efficient down the field. But to me, and I'm, I want to ask you this, because I think all the pressures on Tennessee, they they are the team with expectations. They are yeah, the Florida's team kind of playing with house money, right? That's how I feel. But I was talking to a couple of buddies who were saying, I think Florida's under a lot of pressure. Billy Napier's, you know, hasn't had a great year. 
last year there, you know, yeah, I guess, I guess beating Tennessee and losing the rest of the way can kind of do a lot for Billy Napier, I guess. Right. You, like, so if, I guess if, if, you, if you beat tennis, number 11, Tennessee, who is a rival and you only win five games, you're probably safe. If one of those games, I, I was, yeah, I, right? I would, I, yes, I would agree. And uh, so I don't feel like I, that's a lot of pressure though. Like, it, no, so this is my argument, and so and this is why I wanted to ask you because again, if you want to check out the YouTube page, we have a we have a preview up. Myself, Stephen Lassen, who's my co-host on our college football show, you can go check out the Tennessee Florida preview. You can also check out the LSU Mississippi State preview, the Kansas State Missouri preview. We've got those videos up on on the YouTube page now. But he said the same thing. So I have a couple of buddies that were like, "No, I think there's a lot of pressure on Florida. Tennessee's going to go down there and be loose." And I was like, "I don't think so." And then he said the same thing to me, and I was like, "Okay, wait a second. Maybe I need to step back and reevaluate." the pressure that Florida's facing in this. And even after doing that, I still can't find like Tennessee's a seven point favorite has not won in the swamp since I was in college in 2000, which by the way, feels like a really low favorite, but I guess if you're playing in the swamp, there's probably like three point ish. If they were playing at home, maybe they were like 10. Yeah. Think? Or do exactly. you think they're going to be 14 or 15? No, 10 or 11. Let's go 11 okay. and kind of split still the difference. Seems low, right? I, I guess, but, but again, to me, the, to me, that point spread is baking in the mental history of this rivalry gotcha. and the, the mental history to me, all the pressure of the mental history is on Tennessee. It is not on it Florida, be, in my opinion, because I mean, you've you've had. Yes, there have been drops, but guess what? If you have drops two weeks in a row, you're probably going to have drops three weeks in a row. So like they're going to have to figure out a way to limit the the severity of the drops themselves. And in my mind, if Tennessee goes down here and even if they win, but they win by three points, win by just a touchdown, that's not a real win for Tennessee. There are real issues for this oh, team going forward. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know about. Um, so I think a, a win by one point ugly is still a monumental accomplishment. Really? Well, bec because of, what it means to the fan base and what it means to the, the, the program. Because again, 2003 is when I was in college and people, every Tennessee fan has been tired of hearing this all week. But are we tired? Is that tying years. too much of the mythology of the rivalry and not yes. much? And yes. it then like, to me, that's, that's, it may be big for the, the fan base. Maybe I don't know. This fan base is kind of fucking crazy, but I feel like for the, the outlook of 2023, Maybe I guess you could argue that it's a big monkey off their shoulder or a big huge. sigh of relief. It's huge. It's huge. And then so, that helps them the rest of the way. But an ugly win, I don't know. I don't know what that does for Joe Milton and all all that. No, no, you're you're analyzing it from a football standpoint, right. which is the right thing to do. Which if you barely beat Florida on the road, and sometimes it's the right thing to do, sometimes it's the wrong thing to do because college athletes are just far more emotionally unstable yeah. <laughs> in terms of week in and week out consistency. Whereas the NFL takes all of that off the table. Like the NFL removes all of that. And so the coaches that can get their players to compete against themselves each week are generally the coaches that do great things in college football. You got to have, you got to recruit and scheme. I get it. But to pretty boy Lipschitz's point, I don't trust Milton. I'll take Florida plus the points. I, I think if you win a close game, it doesn't say a lot about how good Tennessee is going to be in big games against A&M or Alabama or Kentucky or Georgia. But it does speak volumes to the fan base that is going to experience something that it has not experienced in a long time. In, in a long time. And it has lost games to Florida in the worst, most creative and ridiculous ways in the last few years. 
Felipe Frank's Hail Mary, like Felipe Frank's ghost is still wandering around the halls of the swamp at night. So like you, there, there's like this weird, to your point, monkey off the back. But to me, that puts all the pressure on the team with expectations, mm-hmm. with the number 11 ranking next to them, with an undefeated record, with the team that achieved something last year. I, to me, that's the, the pressures for them to go down there and play well. Because if they don't, I don't think it's going to be Florida that beat them. I think it's going to be Tennessee that beats itself. And I think that's that's the problem. How far do they fall if they lose? In the uh, how top does it, 25. Like a close game? Yeah, I, I'll get, let you give multiple options. If it's a close game, it's this. If it's a blowout, it's this. I mean, if they get boat race, they could fall out of the top twenty-five. Um, now, I will say this: I also don't. Ca- I also don't care what people are ranked. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't care. I just um, care if they win. You know, whatever. Like yeah. they are about where they are. I think the, the 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 real football analysis is: Can Joe Milton convert in a hostile environment when the pressure is high? That that is to me that is why the pressure is on Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Like no one's walking around this week going like, "Can Graham Mertz carry Florida to victory?" Like no one's saying that shit. I mean, no maybe down to the swamp, but I yeah, think I bet right. I bet it's more of kind of like what we kind of view Ryan Tannehill is like, can Graham Mertz, you know, limit mistakes, and can the defense and other people step up and stop this uh, Tennessee offense? It's almost like the Chargers versus Titans, right? Like it's Florida versus Tennessee. You're, you know. The, the favorite is coming in to on a road game with a high-powered offense, technically, but they're yeah. not with their flaws. And you're going up against a team that kind of sometimes obviously has your number at home. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. right there. No, the very, very uh, the only difference being the Tennessee Titans have good players on their defensive line, <laughs> yeah. and the Florida Gators do not. Um, that that's a major major difference. But otherwise, you're actually right. Pretty some, some pretty interesting overlap there. Put the so, people on upset alert. Not not on this. Not on this game. You can't choose this game. But tell Van, me Van, an SEC game. Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's only a four-point favorite on the road against UNLV. That is a must-win situation for Vanderbilt. If they want to get to a bowl game or show any improvement, they cannot lose to UNLV in the night. I really felt like they should have won last week. I felt like they had some some tough they, calls not go their way. I agree, but they have not looked as good as I expected them to look, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. So I, I need they a four-point favorite on the road in Vegas. Eh. with college kids eh. <laughs> be on lockdown they better be staying in a, in a church not on the strip you better you better just keep an eye out on that one uh missouri's only a four and a half point underdog at home to kansas state who is the defending big 12 champion uh a team that's probably going to get like i would pick them to make it back to the big 12 championship game to play texas I think they're a very, very good football team. It's a regional rival there up between Missouri and Kansas State and Kansas. Those three schools all don't like each other. And there's, I think there's some pressure on Eli Drinkowitz to prove that like three years and some change into his fourth season that like you can pull a big win and actually beat somebody other than like South Carolina. And if they win this game, they get Memphis and Vanderbilt. They could be 5-0 and hosting LSU. So Vegas is... Vegas is giving Missouri a much better chance to win this game than I am. So what, I LSU I'm, Mississippi state, tell us something about it. That's the big one that I think is really interesting. Like the fact that Mississippi state has the sec's leading rusher after two weeks and that they are last in pass attempts is a total mind fuck uh, after watching Mike Leach run that team. So that's weird. Uh, I think they Mississippi state just played Arizona in overtime, which isn't a, 
compliment to Mississippi State, but they played a quarterback who's basically a version of Jaden uh, of Jaden Daniels. And so I think they're kind of prepared for the offense. The question is, can Mississippi State go down the field and attack LSU where LSU is weak, which is the secondary? And if LSU can stop them and win on the road as a nine-point favorite, all is right in Baton Rouge, and LSU is your LSU and Bama are right back in the driver's seat for the West West Division Championship. So this is a big one um, for LSU. They got to go on the road and win this game in Starkville. It's, it's 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 a very interesting matchup. It's a very good game. It's been close. LSU is one three out of four in Starkville. They go down there. They go down there and win. That's a big statement of like the Florida State thing was more about Florida State and less about yeah. LSU. And if they go down there and lose, it's a it's a com it's a commentary on everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, Mississippi State's veteran experience and their senior quarterback and Zach Arnett's first year coach. Big win for him. I mean, huge marquee yeah. win for him. Gives them a chance to contend in the in the West. LSU season is basically done at that point. It also maybe even has a little bit of an impact on how we view Florida State. So, like, a loss changes how we view a lot of teams. A win sort of just cements how we feel about all the teams, mm -hmm. I, I think, is maybe the, the way to look at it. Um, South Carolina at Georgia. Yeah, I mean, like, thoughts, I mean, isn't that prayers. just like, yeah. I mean, that's, I almost thought about bringing it up, and I was just like, other than to say kind of what we said at the, for the UNC game, like, can Shane Beamer and, uh, no. Crap, what's their quarterback's name that I'm blanking Spencer, on? Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler. Um, do anything of note? Well, so here's what's interesting. Rattler's been solid in two games. They've been blown out in two matchups. Beamer versus um, Kirby Smart. It's not been close. It's been basically 45 to 10, three years in a row, South Carolina and Georgia. But they haven't, Georgia has not pressured the quarterback much in either of those games. Like Rattler wasn't sacked at all last year in the South Carolina Georgia game, which is weird. So South Carolina's offensive line is atrocious. Gave up nine sacks to North Carolina. To me, this is about Carson Beck and Georgia. They're a 27 and a half point favorite, four touchdown favorite. I, I might take South Carolina to, to backdoor cover at the end. But this is about like, let's see what Georgia does against a real team for the first time this year. Like that, we're, we're still in the data collection process of college football for certain teams. We don't know what Ohio State is. We don't know what Michigan is. We've learned about Bama and Texas and LSU and Florida State. We, this is going to be our first real learning experience about Tennessee. It's going to be our first real learning experience about Georgia. So it's sort of just like collect some data and see how teams look, see how quarterbacks look, and and then file it away for next week because every week's a liar in fo college football <laughs> yeah pretty much uh i want to real quick i want you to define dynasty i thought greg mcelroy did a really good job of defining what it, the alabama dynasty when people's when he says it's over what he means by that and what he said i want i don't know if do you know what he said before I, I, I don't have it I, verbatim, but I'm well, I, I will see if the for the listeners' purposes, I don't have it verbatim either. But he essentially said they'll still compete for championships, they'll still compete, you know, with, with the top teams. Just the days of them bending people over and winning by 40 and blowouts almost every game is over. That is over for the dynasty. Is that a correct view of dynasty? Because to me, I, I know the New England Patriots put up a lot of points that one big season where they had like Randy Moss and all that, but they ended up losing to the Giants, right? So to me, it's like... 07, yeah. Being, being contenders and turning that contention into championships 
is what makes a dynasty. I don't know if I yeah. really look at the points being scored no. as how the dynasty is should be viewed. No, I was. Th- this is a good. It's a really good question. I, I would say that to me, defining dynasty is you are contending for a championship every year, give or take, and that you win more of them than anyone else. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be every year. To, to me, it's like uh, since 2009, when, when Alabama won its first championship under Saban, he's won six. And they've been, quote unquote, in contention every year they didn't win it. So to me, that's how it's like, it's very, I don't think it matters how many, if you win Heisman's or if you you don't win Heisman's or if you win by 40, or if you win by five, to me, it's, are you contending for championships basically every season? And do you win more of them than, than basically everybody else? Um, you know, Clemson only has two. Ohio State has one. Like Georgia's got two and they lost to Bama in 2017. So they almost have three. So we're getting close to Georgia being yeah. the dynasty here. Um, I would say that Georgia is creating its own dynasty, but they're not the dynasty yet, but it might be the next dynasty. Right. And so I, I also think that last week's game was again, more of a commentary on Texas and the state of college football. And that it's just really hard to lose your Heisman trophy winning greatest player of all time at the position and be as good the next year. Like Jalen Milrow, Jalen Milrow's really game, good. Yeah, and also win a game getting the penalties outside of the pass interference penalties, but the, all the other penalties that they got. Yeah, it's hard to win a game when you got that many penalties. Well, and that that I think is the argue, Some of the people's argument is that Saban has lost his disciplinary edge. That the team seventeen penalties against Texas last year, like they were very undisciplined last year, and they haven't corrected it so far this year. He needs to go back to just so. being an asshole. Like I, <laughs> I agree. Nice. Like he need, he nice. needs to quit apologizing to people in the media. Yeah. Yeah. He needs to yeah. quit apologizing to parents, kids, and cut. Listen, I think that as long as you stay away from younger women of the opposite sex or anything like that, I prefer younger women of the same sex. Yeah. but that's but just me. you know, I think if he stays away. From that side, I think uh, Alabama football coach could be as mean and as uh, yeah. unpolite to college kids as he wants, as long as they're getting paid and they're winning games. So yeah, yeah. I think I we agree. need old Nick Saban back. What's interesting is I don't think we're even having this conversation if it's if he's like 65. If he's like yeah. five or six years younger, I don't think we're even talking about it. We're just saying, oh, this is a regular uh, down like a team that is up so high, goes undefeated in 2020, wins the national championship, plays in the national championship game in 2021. Like we are one year removed from Nick Saban going to back-to-back national championship games. I, If he's 65 instead of whatever he is, like 72, I don't think we're even having this conversation. Like they're just in a natural downswell of talent right now. And that is, I, who do you think is better suited to fix that? Nick Saban or yeah. anybody else? <laughs> like, right basically Nick and Kirby and that's about it. So yeah. um, I'm not, I'm not, they might not win the championship this year and that's fun and interesting for, for sports fans, but mm-hmm. it's not, it's not the end, not the end of that, Yeah. Like right? as long as Nick Saban is coaching in Alabama, yeah, right. Gonna, it's when he retires, coaching. that's the end of the Alabama dynasty, Bingo. depending on who takes over. Bingo. All right. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for all the comments. Uh, make sure you check out stack in the inbox. Make sure you check out, uh, football and other F words. Sinkers, the freaking title. I was pointing at it multiple times. So oh, it, was I didn't great, know that's what it was a great AFC South breakdown of the what? Tennessee Vols and the Florida Gators. Uh, Sinkers Beverages, the Kingston Group, BuildKG.com, of course. 
I think that's all the stuff. All the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network, Broadway Sports Media. I think that's everything. For Zach, I am Braden. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday.